Well, it's been a great morning, and I uh, can't wait to have the kids come in a little bit later, too, and therefore I'm going to jump right to it so that uh, we can make time uh, for them to minister to us. But if you're just joining us, we're in a series on First Samuel uh, about kingship and conflict and covenant. And last week, uh, we sort of followed the travel itinerary of the Ark of the Lord. And in chapter 7, the people return to the Lord, and He delivers them from the Philistines. There are towns and territories are restored to Israel, and under the leadership of Samuel, there's relative uh, peace in Israel. And this peace lasts about 20 years under Samuel. Samuel's judge in Israel, and things are going well. But as Samuel grows old, he decides to appoint his sons as Israel's next leader. And this proves not to be a good idea. Similar to Eli's sons previously, Samuel's sons do not follow the ways of the Lord. They're dishonest. They take bribes. They pervert justice. Not what you want from your leaders, whether it's spiritual or political. But what's most important here is how the people respond. It says, all the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Ramah, and they said to him, you are old, your sons do not follow your ways. Now let us fast and pray. Repent and seek the Lord, the one who delivered us from the hand of the Philistines and gave us this land and has a plan for our nation. Let's pray for godly leaders among us. Unfortunately, that's not what they say. No, they say, you are old, your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. And what becomes obvious as the text unfolds here is that it's not so much that the Israelites are concerned with the lack of godliness or holiness among their leaders. That would be reasonable, even commendable. But rather, this request comes from a purely kind of secular, if you will, or fleshly desire to be like the other nations. And God had already anticipated that Israel someday would desire a king. He gave them instructions in Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20, and He says, find if you have a king, I want one who is humble, not hungry for power or wealth or prestige, but one who follows God's laws, who follows God's hearts. So it's not so much the desire for a king that is wrong. The idea of kingship wasn't necessarily evil, but what's wrong is the motivation. It's the reasoning of the people that they want to be like the nations around them. And if you've read any of the Old Testament, this is exactly the opposite of their calling as a nation, which is to be a distinct people who are not like the nations around them. That's the whole purpose behind God giving Israel the law, by giving them the promised land, by clearing out the other nations who had rejected God. They are to be a people under covenant with God, not under the kingship of a man. And this is why it says here in verse 6 that the request, it displeased Samuel. And more importantly, it displeases God. God says to Samuel in verse 9, It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as king. And then verses 10 through 18 here lay out what it will be like if God acquiesces to their request to be like the other nations. Samuel basically tells them, all right, you want a king? You want to be like the other nations? Here's how it's going to go. He's going to take your sons to be soldiers and servants. 
and to work for him and serve his agenda. He'll take your daughters to serve in his house. He'll tax you and take your lands and give it to his friends and insiders and his own entourage of supporters and people around him. Even you yourselves will become his slaves and your servants, and you'll become miserable, and then you're going to call out to God to save you, but he will not listen to you. Do you still want a king? And amazingly, the people, so blinded by their immediate desire for a quick fix rather than the hard work of reform, they say, nope, we want a king over us. It says they refuse to listen to Samuel. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. And then in the last two verses of this chapter, God says, all right, that's what you want. Here you go. So this is a pretty sad chapter, (laughs) kind of tragic, but it's full of relevant lessons and has so many parallels, I think, for our own lives. So I just want to give three insights from this passage that tell us about God and more importantly, reveal to us uh, our own hearts and hopefully provide us an opportunity to examine our lives. So uh, three insights. And number one is that often we'd rather fight our own battles than let God fight for us or with us. Can you imagine what it felt like for God to hear these words from the people? They say, then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. And this is the God who just in the last chapter in verses 10 and 11 delivered the Philistines into the hand of the Israelites by throwing them into a panic. He fought the battle for them. This is the God who delivered them from the Egyptians, who parted the seas, who took care of them with food and drink in the wilderness, and then showed his power over all the nations in Canada, in Canada, in Canaan. (laughs) Lord, may it be so, uh, in Canaan. (laughs) And he fought the battle for them. I mean, all Israel did was march around Jericho you know, seven times and give a shout and blow a trumpet and, the God, and God delivered the whole city to them and fought the battle for them. When Gideon defeats the Midianites in Judges 7 and 8, God whittles down his army from 32,000 to 300 and then all he says is blow some horns, smash some jars and then he sends the other nations into a big confusion and God won the battle for them. This is God's constant pattern telling us, if you let me, I will fight the battle for you. But here's the thing, and insight number two, God respects our freedom to choose. As the Bible often teaches, God will sort of give us over to our desires. Just like here he says in verse 21 to Samuel, all right, listen to what the people say and give them a king. That's what they want. See, God God is not a bully. God doesn't push or manipulate to get His way. He doesn't hold people captive. He doesn't force obedience. It must be our choice. But when we start fighting our own battles, and God will let us, the end results aren't always good, just as they aren't good here for Israel. 
And then we often ask, why is this happening to me? The way Israel later will. But it's not God's fault, right, that we're stressed out in every way or that our lives are chaotic or crazy or in turmoil. It's often because we've done what was right in our own eyes. We've followed the ways of the world. We've chased success or we've overworked or sought pleasure. We've, we've said, I want to get mine or be who I want to be. And we've said, I want to be like the rest of the world. And God gives us the freedom to choose. But, of course, the problem with that freedom is that insight number three, what we want and what God wants aren't always, and let's be honest, aren't usually the same thing. Right? God wants a king not like the nation's kings, someone who will submit to the will of God, who will lead through the voice of of God's prophets, a king who will simply help hold up the covenant between God and the people. But the people don't want a humble king like that. That would be, you know, too soft. Righteousness and integrity is not their main priority. They want a cool king. You know, they want a king like all the other nations. They want power. They want recognition. They want status, reputation, strength. They want to be known. They want to be a political force to be reckoned with. And we have to be honest with ourselves. We are often drawn to the wrong things and the wrong kinds of leaders and teachings. We become intoxicated with and attach ourselves to people or ideas or a movement that makes us feel a part of something powerful or, or makes us think we can enhance our status or it will make us respectable or give us a purpose or fulfill our desires. I mean, look no further than how Christians today attach themselves to, politi to political figures in a way that often brings shame upon the name of God and His people. It's just the modern-day version of saying, we want a king, instead of trusting and submitting ourselves to God's ways and His desire to slowly and patiently form us into a humble people who love others, who are meant to bless the world, not be like the world. God's ways are not like ours. The Israelites here, they never ask, what does God want us to do? They're only concerned about what they want. So what can we do? I think we've all fallen to the same temptation of the Israelites here. We've tried to fight our own battles. We've chosen poorly, trusting the lies of the world instead of trusting in God's words. We've confused what we want with what God wants, and our lives and our world is a broken mess because of it. So what can we do? Well, we can humble ourselves before a humble king. Today's Palm Sunday, and it's just amazing, and really the Lord's doing in Providence that there are actually so many parallels between today's text and the text in Matthew 21, the story of Palm Sunday. 
If you're unfamiliar with the day or the story, it's when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, as we read at the beginning of the service, to proclaim himself as king. And the people are shouting, Hosanna, and they're essentially shouting, we want a king. But here's the thing in what we discover. What and who the people want as king is not necessarily what God has in mind for king. Palm Sunday is actually a bit of an ironic story in that it's a bunch of people getting all excited about their dreams of who Jesus is going to be and what He's going to do for them. They see Jesus as a political conqueror who is going to overthrow the Roman government and deliver them from their oppression and, and, and give them their political aspirations. And so their cry of Hosanna is really for that kind of saving. They think He's going to be a king like all the other nations a mighty warrior. And so the people say, we want a king. They see Jesus as a quick fix to their problems. And we know all this because just a few days later, these people are nowhere to be found as Jesus instead chooses the way of the cross. And the cross of suffering was not something they were interested in. A crown? Yes place of power? You bet. Aggressive rhetoric against an oppressive government? Yeah, they'd be all for that. But a cross? Laying down your life for the sake of your enemies? Blessing those who curse you? Saying nothing to defend yourself as they hurl insults at you and put you to death on a cross? Forgiving those who wrong you? Not interested in that. And the people truly willing to take that road were few then and they're few now. But of course, just like in Samuel, God's message through the cross is one of such good news, namely that He wants to fight the battle for you. And through Him, you will encounter victory that you could never achieve on your own. And that battle and victory is not success in the world. It's not power and prestige. It's the victory over sin and death and the powers of darkness and eternal separation from God. And that is or should be, as our theme is for Easter Sunday next week, enough for us. But just like in Samuel, God gives us the freedom to choose. He's not going to manipulate or bully you into submitting to Him and to taking the way of the cross. He respects your freedom to choose. And we can choose the way of humility, the way of the cross, placing all our faith in life and the truth that Jesus won the battle for us and that He's paid for all the mistakes that we've ever made and that we are people under God's covenant paid for by Jesus' sacrifice, or we can fight ourselves and we can choose our own path and go through life striving to win our own battles, establish our own kingdoms, to be like the world around us. And so as the band comes, the question for you is, which will you choose? And I hope this Holy Week and this Palm Sunday, your heart moves towards the way of humility placing your faith not in yourself, not in another person, not in a human leader,
but in our humble King, Jesus, who fulfills all God's desires for what a king should be like. And so we're going to sing a song that we often sing on Palm Sunday or during Holy Week as we remember what Jesus did, and, and I never hide it. It's, it's one of my favorite worship songs ever because it just communicates everything I want to at this time of year, probably more importantly, just God's heart at this time of year. Of a God who dismantles our pride, all that we value or think important, and shows us a different way, a better way, a richer way. And I hope it helps you to choose humility, and more importantly, to choose to serve and to follow our humble King. So would you stand with me and let's sing this song before we receive ministry from our kids this morning.